Today's scripture is Luke 15, 25 through 32. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes. You killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this, brother, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Well, at last, we have come to the end of the story of the two lost sons. Now that we got here, we discover that the ending is missing. The elder son is standing there in the courtyard with his father begging him to come into the house and enjoy the celebration. So what did the elder son do? How will the story end? Well, we know how we want the story to end. We want the story to end with the elder son breaking down and going into the house and joining the celebration, followed by the familiar storybook conclusion, and they all lived happily ever after. That's the way it's supposed to end, isn't it? I mean, uh, you know, a, a Christian story and the Christian scriptures should have a storybook ending, right? Well, maybe in a fairy tale world, but real life is not a fairy tale, and the Bible is not a book of fairy tales. So we can't expect a fairy tale ending. And even though it seems that Jesus leaves the ending of the parable open-ended, the Pharisees actually entered into the drama in real life and wrote the ending. In just a few minutes, we're going to see the ending that the Pharisees wrote to the story. But before we jump to the conclusion and wrap things up, uh, we want to make sure that we understand what Jesus is saying in this parable. And Jesus tells this parable, which is it's actually a trilogy of three uh, episodes uh, as a response to uh, the Pharisees' complaint that he ate with tax collectors and sinners, as uh, Jared reminded us a couple of minutes ago. So here's that verse again, or verses. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled or muttered, as some versions say, this man receives sinners and eats with them. And so he told them this parable. So, there are three episodes to the parable. There is the parable or the episode of the lost sheep, the episode of the lost coin, and then the episode of the lost son or sons, as we have discovered. So, the, the pattern goes like this. Something of value is lost. You go look for that which is lost diligently until you find it, and then you rejoice, you celebrate, call all your friends together, and uh, enjoy the celebration. 
And so that's how the first two parables went. So when Jesus gets to the third episode of the parable and tells the story of the, the lost son, the younger son, who uh, you know, comes home and the, the father rejoices that his son has returned and uh, they have a big celebration. And then the elder son is standing out there in the courtyard. He's reluctant to go in. He doesn't want to go in at all. And uh, the father is there uh, pleading with him, entreating him to, to come in. And we are left hanging there as to what the older son would do. You know, what he's supposed to do to stay in, in harmony with the rest of the parable is he's supposed to come in so that we can celebrate his coming in too. But that doesn't happen. We, we, don't, we don't see the fulfillment of that. And so um, it brings up a question. Um, when the people who hear this parable... Uh, you know, wouldn't they be wondering whether someone's going to go about and look for this lost son, you know, the, the younger son? Uh, it sure seems that, you know, since he hasn't returned home, we haven't heard anything from him. Uh, but uh, somebody uh, should go look for him. And uh, we might wonder who should have gone after him. Uh, Sure, seems like that would be the role of the father, um, but I'm not going to tell you now. I'm just going to hang that out there, and uh, we'll 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 come to that when we tie all these things together. But you know, rather than just you know saying, okay, this is how it ended, this is how it played out in, in real life, uh, I want us to see more of the fullness and the richness of what Jesus is saying to his original audience, so that when we read it, we, we can absorb the, the full impact of the, the message, which we're, we're going to get to that too, but reviewing all of this I think is going to help us as we see ourselves in, in the drama that is unfolding. You know, we all identify with one brother or the other. Most of us uh, come closer to identifying with the elder brother than we do with with the younger, but as we have seen when we examine both of those uh, um, sons, that one was putting distance between him and God by breaking the rules, and the other was putting distance between himself and God by obeying the rules. And uh, we've, we've looked at how sometimes when you obey the rules, you think that keeps God at a safe distance from you. But um, what Jesus is doing here is presenting a, a view of God, a, a view of himself that his audience had never seen before or had never even considered could possibly be true. The, the, the father in the parable is taking on the form of a suffering servant in the courtyard who is being publicly humiliated before everyone. The father in the parable um, is Jesus. In just a matter of months, Jesus would be led into another courtyard where he would be questioned by the high priest before being turned over to the Roman authorities and crucified. Before crucifixion, he would be publicly humiliated and shamefully treated. The shame and the humiliation that the elder son spews all over the father point to what this company of Pharisees will do to Jesus in just a few months. 
So the way the parable, that the story really ends, that the Pharisees write, is uh, beginning to come clear to us. And so with this in mind, we might wonder, how does the father in the parable respond? And that points to the reality behind the parable. You know, how would Jesus respond to these people, to these evil people who are pretending to be righteous and are plotting to publicly humiliate him and then have him killed? How does the father respond? With righteous wrath? That's what everyone would expect. And in the context where we live, we would, I mean, we, we don't really lock people up or publicly beat them, but we might think that the least that a father would do who's been treated like the elder son has treated him well, it would be just to break off the relationship, just recognize that that relationship has been severed, sent him away. But what do we see the father doing when he's been so publicly humiliated by his elder son? He begs him to come in, pleads with him. This son who has shamed him so, so terribly. So this is where the parable ends. And we are left sort of hanging, wondering what the um, elder son is going to do. And it's here that Jesus invites his audience to come up on stage and write themselves into the story and play it out. Well, in just a few minutes, I'm going to come back to where we are here and tell you the end of the story as I have promised. I just kind of dangle it and give you clues. Um, and I know I said that before. We will get there. I, I do promise. But first I want to enter the story myself as the elder brother with the fond hope that any of you who may be holding on to your righteousness or to your status as a good person might see your need for grace. On my sister's 13th, birthday my mom and dad bought her a bicycle it was a nice bicycle really nice <laughs> and she was happy to get it mom and dad were happy to give it to her it's a wonderful day a celebration at least it should have been but I couldn't celebrate or wouldn't might be better I was indignant, furious, in fact, and jealous. A bicycle was too extravagant a gift. I never received a birthday present that extravagant, so why should she? So my mom tried to reason with me. You know, it's, it's what she wanted. Look how happy she is. And can't you be happy for your sister? You know, getting that bike means as much to her as getting a car would be for you. And that's what set me off. Yeah, you give her what she wants, but I have to work for mine. I felt so righteous and so indignant. For uh, some reason, I seemed...
to have forgotten a day some years prior to that when I was about 10 years old that you know, mom and dad took me to the big Sears store in Greensboro, um, which was an impressive place for, for kids to go and picked out the nicest bike I'd ever seen. Just gave it to me. No, no birthday, no Christmas, anything. Just out of the clear blue sky. I'd forgotten all about that. I was not thinking of how gracious my parents had been to me for no reason. I was just thinking about what I had earned, what I was entitled to. I'm a classic elder brother type. I don't know if any of you can relate, but these are the kinds of things elder brother types do. We tend to think, I'm the obedient one. I am the righteous one. I am the responsible one. I am the one deserving of honor. Well, I ruined my sister's 13th birthday party. I ruined supper. It was a day that should have been one of the happiest days of her life. But I took that from her. It was a day that should have brought satisfaction to my mom and dad. But I denied them the gift of giving such a nice present to their daughter that they were sure would bring her great happiness. But here I was standing over there fuming. You know, I'd taken a day that was meant for her and made it all about me. Isn't that what the elder brother in the story was doing? There's a celebration going on over there. It was for the father, really. But the younger son was, the, was what prompted the celebration. You know, the older brother couldn't be part of that. He couldn't be part of anything unless it was all about him. So before I go any further, um, I, I need to apologize to my mother and to my sister. Now, I know they're not here, but my mother listens to the sermons as soon as they are uploaded online. So about this time next week, you know, she'll be listening in. And have a hunch that my mom might say to my sister, you need to listen <laughs> uh, to this, but uh, you know, here goes, you know, mom, uh, really, really sorry for that selfish, obnoxious behavior, that self-righteous spirit and ruining a day of celebration. And I took that from you and from dad and I can't give that back all I can ask is that you pay by your forgiveness for my self-righteous behavior and Anita it's my sister I apologize to you too I took away something that was really special 
something that you had wanted for a, a long time. And uh, our parents had made this possible for you, and I should have been happy for you. But I made sure that you couldn't be. Not a very good older brother to you at that time. So I ask your forgiveness. And you know, I have a younger brother. His name is Doug, so while I'm being the elder brother in the drama, um, I don't know if, if he'll be listening, or Doug, if he'll be listening, have a hunch you might be. <laughs> but I need to apologize to you too. Um, you know, a few weeks ago when I was down there visiting, I asked you, uh, you remember the story about the prodigal son in the Bible? And uh, you said, yeah. And um, I ask you, am I the older brother who's standing in the way of you coming into the house of celebration? And you said, no, it, it's not you. So I don't know if you were being polite or what, but just in case I'm still the older brother in that relationship and I'm standing between you and God, I'm really sorry for being the kind of elder brother that I very well may have been. So I ask for forgiveness and I also beg of you, entreat you, plead with you, come in, come to home. It's a lot easier just to read the scripture as spectators. It's a lot easier to come to church and worship as spectators. Just be the audience. Listen in to what's being said. But Jesus wouldn't let his listeners do that. When he tells the story to answer a question, he invites all who listen to enter into the drama. And so here we are. Well, I need to move on just a little bit. I want to come now to the conclusion. You know, if I could write the conclusion to the story, I would like to write a happy ending. You know, something like this. The son, seeing his father's love, compassion, and grace, came to his senses about his wicked heart, was humbled, he repented, and was reconciled to his family. But that's not how the story ends. I don't get to write the end of the story. So who did? Who did get to write the end of the story? Well, the, the Pharisees did. Uh, in real life, a few months later. Now, that's the point that I said we're going to come back to in just a few minutes, so here we are. 
How did the story really end? What ending to the story did the Pharisees write? Here's, here's what they wrote. And the older son, being outraged at his father, picked up a piece of wood and beat him to death in front of everyone. That's the ending they wrote. Because that's what really happened. Now you say, well, then Jesus wasn't you know, killed by the Pharisees beating him with a piece of wood. Wasn't he? Wasn't he? Remember the chain of events. We won't review all of them. But there in the courtyard stood the suffering servant being publicly humiliated in front of all. And there he was found guilty of blasphemy, saying that he was God. And Pharisees were convinced you know, he was not of God, that he was a Satan. And so they took a piece of wood and pounded him to it. And there he died a slow, cruel, shameful, humiliating death. We know what he was doing. He was paying the price for the sins of running away from God, for breaking the rules, breaking the commandments, just like the younger son did. But he was also paying for the sins of the elder brother, the self-righteous attitudes, the belief that we can earn our own way. And so that's kind of the, the way we tend to, to think. But on the cross, Jesus paid for that as well. And what does he do to us? Do you see the lavish grace that the father, he just smothered his son with kisses. And then he put the robe on him to cover his shame and put the ring on his finger to declare his sonship as well as the sandals on his feet. Do you see what the Lord God through Christ does for us sinners who have pretty well committed every sin that anybody could think of he doesn't come to us with wrath Jesus has taken the wrath he placed the wrath on Jesus and instead <laughs> he lavishes us with grace unless we think that the the younger son was the only recipient of grace. The father extended lavish grace to that older son just as much, if not more. Please understand what's happening here. This older son is publicly humiliating his father. He doesn't address him as father, which you know, he should have in that culture. He just says, look, he won't come in it was not only something that he would have been obligated to do as a member of the family, but as the elder son, he should have been the maitre d'. 
he should have been the host. He should have been the one who was welcoming guests and making sure that they had enough to eat and making them feel welcome. But instead, he's outside in the courtyard, standing there, you know, arms crossed, pouting. He never even so much as gave a goat, young goat, to me so I could have a party with my friends. It's all about him. And what does Jesus say the Father does to him? Smack him upside the head for his insolent behavior? Yeah, that's what we might expect. But what is he doing? He's pleading, begging, entreating his son to come in. And what is he saying when he said, you know, this, your brother has come home and we had to celebrate? Saying the same thing to his older son. We're going to celebrate your coming home too. But it's so much harder for those who are convinced that they are righteous, that they don't need grace. Their righteousness is sufficient. Therefore, they do not need the righteousness of God. And so, let's see how much time I've got. How does the story end? Well, we have seen what the Pharisees did. We have seen how they publicly humiliated and shame Jesus in public and therefore that's how the story really ended but that doesn't mean that the Pharisees have the last word Jesus has the last word and uh, it brings us to the other unanswered question that we need to address that is, who is going to go and search for the lost son? Yeah. I think I've got time to do this. The most likely person from our point of view would be the father. He is the one who loved his son like uh, no one else could. But in, in, in Bible times, the elder brother had a number of responsibilities that came with being the oldest brother. Uh, remember uh, how the elder of the two sons in Jesus' day would have received a double portion of the inheritance. So, so when the father divided the inheritance uh, between them, uh, the younger son got one-third and the older son got, got two-thirds. You think, well, that's a great deal. You know, the firstborn gets twice as much. But uh, along with the privilege, there are many responsibilities uh, that, that come along with uh, that the uh, role of being the older son. Uh, some of the responsibilities that the older son had regarding his family were these. He was responsible for keeping the family together. He was, up, he was responsible for upholding the family name, the family traditions, and for carrying on the very essence of his father's nature. It was his responsibility to officiate at ceremonies such as the celebration feast and the parable. And if a younger brother who was married uh, happened to die before he uh, had a son, it was the responsibility of the older brother uh, to uh, go into his dead brother's wife and uh, produce a son. Uh, 
And something else that an elder brother was responsible for was to act as a bridge between the father and his younger siblings and defend the father against any kind of attacks or accusations of the younger siblings. The elder son abdicated all of these responsibilities. He's only thinking about the things that, that he wanted. So as Jesus so clearly defined the loving and caring attitude and nature of his father, now those who heard Jesus tell the parable, especially in the context of the earlier two parables, you know, would have been looking for the older son to go after his prodigal brother and bring him home at any cost. So remember the context of the story? A sheep is lost, and so the shepherd goes out and finds him and brings him home, and they celebrate. A coin is lost, and so the woman searches diligently everywhere until she finds it, and then she calls for her friends and family to come and to celebrate. And so the people who hear the story would expect the same scenario. Someone of great value is lost, and so someone needs to go and find him and bring him home and celebrate. And why is that not the father's responsibility? Remember that the father had divided his inheritance among them. And so along with all of these privileges, the father also transfers to the elder son all of the responsibilities. It was the duty of the older son to go and look for his younger brother. And so the message for us is for those of us who are older brother types and because we are a church, you know, we're probably more that type than the younger brother type. But you see, Jesus is wanting to communicate to the Pharisees and especially the elder brother types that, that we are, that we have a responsibility to go look for and find uh, those who've strayed away. Be a good elder brother to him, to be Jesus to them. During the Vietnam War, there was a soldier who went missing in action. There are many soldiers who uh, suffered that horrible fate but the family heard nothing about him. All they knew was that he was missing. There was no official uh, communication whatsoever. And so the brother of this soldier who was MIA, you know, missing in action, went to Vietnam, risking his life, searched the jungles and the battlefields for his lost brother. It is said that despite the danger, the, this elder brother was never hurt because those on both sides of the conflict had heard of his dedication and they respected what he was doing. Even those who are far off from God, respect the pursuit of an elder brother 
after his younger brother when he is lost. The elder brother earned a reputation among everyone as simply the brother. The listeners of Jesus' day would have heard the parable of the prodigal son and walked away in amazement about the extreme love of the father. They would have also wondered where the true elder brother was, the one who would be willing to go off to a distant land and bring back his brother at whatever cost. So let me ask you something. Who is the true elder brother? Not only in this story, but in real life. Is it not Jesus? Jesus identifies as a father in the parable. But we also see in Jesus that in contrast to the elder brother in the story, that Jesus is the true elder brother, the one who has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And he wants his listeners to have the same heart for the lost that he has. I have good news for you. We all have an older brother. That older brother is mentioned for us in Hebrews 2.11, that he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. Jesus is not ashamed to call us his brothers. And so he comes looking for us, just as the good shepherd would come and seek his lost sheep. Jesus is the true elder brother. Instead of laying claim to what was rightfully his, he came out and searched for us, which is what a true elder brother would do. He found us in the pigsty and carried us home on his shoulders, singing with joy. He gave us his robe, his ring, his sandals, his place, his wealth, all at his expense. Now, understanding this truth is essential. It will transform you. We'll never stop being elder brothers until we rejoice in the work of our true elder brother. So in closing, I want to ask you two things. First of all, I want to invite you into the parable and live it out. To those of you who may identify with the younger brother, just admit that you're lost. Admit that you've been running from God and putting distance between yourself and God. You'll never find satisfaction that way. To those of you who identify with the elder brother, but who may be lost nonetheless, but don't want to admit it. Just admit it. Recognize that you are lost. Your righteousness is not going to save you. You need the righteousness of God. So recognize that either by willful disobedience to God's will or by an attitude of self-righteousness, you are lost. Recognize that you've been running from God. But also recognize that our elder brother, Jesus, came to search for you 
It has paid the price necessary for you to come home and discover life lived in God's love. Maybe you've been cruising through life, seeking everything this world has to offer, but it's just not fulfilling. Will you respond to the Father's earnest plea to come in and celebrate new life? That's the first thing. The second thing is for those of you who have been found, that is those of you who are saved, Will you also enter into the story and embrace the role of the true elder brother? Will you recognize that you are now an elder brother for those who are still lost? Jesus has entrusted this responsibility of seeking the lost to us. It's our responsibility to find those who are lost and bring them home. You know, the first Sunday that I introduced the parable, it's been several weeks ago, um, but you may have remembered that story of me climbing through the garbage truck looking for my lost grocery money. So I want to bring you back uh, to that story. Here I was in a garbage truck, pig side couldn't have been worse. You know, when you evangelize and when you try to help people connect with God, you have to cut through a lot of garbage. So I had my utility knife there, you know, slicing through garbage bags, looking for that valuable envelope that had, you know, food money in it. So it was lost. I searched for it. I found it, and I celebrated it in a way that was consistent with the parable of the prodigal son. I found the money, and I kissed it. Just like the father kissed his son. Didn't matter that I had been in the garbage bag. It was valuable, and I had found it. I want this to be real for us. This parable real for us. You know, we're, we're, we're all part of it. And I just want to close by reminiscing a question I, I, I sense coming from God while I was there wallowing happily in that garbage truck with that money in my hands. It's not an audible voice, mind you, but still a voice that I sense was certainly from God. Something like this. I see you're happy that you found this money that you lost. And I said, yes, I am very happy about that. Thank you. And then the follow-up question, are you willing to go out and find those who are still lost and celebrate with them? If we are to have a culture of evangelism, a culture of attracting people to Jesus. You know, tax collectors and sinners were just naturally attracted. He was not judgmental. He welcomed people, sat down and ate with them, had a good time with them. If we are to have a a culture where we cultivate 
those kinds of relationships, the impact of this parable has to come home to us. Let's pray that it does. Our Father, as we come to the conclusion of this parable of seeking that which is lost and rejoicing when that which has been lost is found, we ask that you put it within our hearts to go and seek out those who are lost to let them know that there is a, a, a place where they are, are welcome, a place in the Father's house where all who acknowledge their sins and, and turn to you for forgiveness are welcomed, and not just welcomed, but clothed with that robe of righteousness and given the ring a sonship and that the sandals that indicate sonship help us Lord by the power of your spirit to communicate to those who are lost whether the younger brother type or the elder brother type that there is abundant, matchless, effusive, lavish grace awaiting them through Christ our Lord. In his name we pray. Amen.